This recording was brought to you by Media One Audio Visual. To learn more about us, visit us online at MediaOneAudio.com. My name is Anthony Bruno. I um, I'm the digital editor, for lack of a better term, at uh, Billboard magazine, and um, this is the cloud music panel. And cloud music, you know, not the most topical of subjects I know. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Good. Okay, we've got sarcasm in the crowd. I appreciate that. It's going to get a sense of where we are this morning. It's the first panel of the day. So what I'm going to do here is, first of all, I'm going to let the, our esteemed panel uh, introduce themselves real quick. And before we get into that, though, I have a little, a little bit of uh, notes for you folks in the crowd. The way we're going to do things on this panel is that we're going to be discussing this topic here on, on the stage. But um, rather than having like a little 15-minute, 10-minute, you know, way too rapid Q&A session at the end, I would like the Q&A to start immediately. So as we're talking through some of our topics, before we move on to the next thing, I'm going to look in the crowd. I'm going to say, does anyone have any questions on what we're talking about right now? Or if you're having them, just raise your hand. And I'm going to try to integrate that as we're discussing. Now, there is a woman here with the microphone. So if you do raise your hand and stand up, just wait a second till the microphone gets to you. Um, she's in the back right now. Uh, when you do have a question, please introduce, I need to know who you are and where you're from, your name and your company, okay? Because we're all, no, there's no anonymous commenting on this panel, okay? This is not the internet, this is real life. And we want to know who you are, where you're coming from, and then what your question is, okay? But I want to try to incorporate that as much as humanly possible throughout uh, this. So please do uh, have your questions ready if you have them. So with that, I'm going to ask the folks to my left to introduce themselves. They're going to tell us who they are, what their company does, and we're going to break the ice just a little bit, and I want them to tell me what their last song or album was that they bought, streamed, or stole, and um, via what service they did that. And I think for a couple of them it's going to be rather obvious, but uh, I'm going to ask the question anyway. So let's start off to my left. Um, name's John Irwin. I'm the president of uh, Rhapsody. Uh, we are a uh, on-demand subscription music service uh, based up in Seattle, Washington. We also have uh, an office here in San Francisco. Uh, and the music question, uh, it's a little topical because I pulled... Uh, a little playlist together for my anniversary, which is tomorrow, 25 years of marriage. So I, um, I actually uh, put a list together the other night uh, for my wife and I, uh, uh, Poison, uh, every, ro every Rose Has Its Thorn, <laughs> decide who that applies to, uh, and then uh, the doors uh, touch me, probably for obvious reasons. <laughs> Okay, John, you can now leave. Thanks. Yes, sir. <laughs> Larry. Hi, I'm Larry Kenswell. Um, I'm a, I guess I'm a lawyer in, uh, <laughs> in private practice. Uh, uh, for about a decade, I ran the digital businesses at uh, Universal Music Group back when they were making good decisions. <laughs> if you don't like it, it's not his fault. I think it's what you said. Um, and uh, I relapsed into lawyerhood. Um, I remember the first album I bought. I can't remember the last one. <laughs> the first album I ever bought as a kid was uh, Thelonious Monk, Straight No Chaser. And that was obviously not from a digital service, so. No, it was uh, an LP. <laughs> Okay, Darren. Good morning. Uh, my name is Darren Sway. I'm with a company called MSpot. We uh, are a cloud-based entertainment company, and uh, we have services uh, including streaming radio, full-length movies on mobile, and uh, other portable devices. Um, and then about a year ago, a little bit less than a year ago, we launched also a media locker service, which um, can hold your music and soon-to-come other types of media as well. Um, we're probably not all that well known just because a lot of our services are white label with the carriers like AT&T and Sprint, but we've been around for almost seven years now, and uh, we've got around six million users across all of our services. Um, and uh, let's see, the last album that I, or, or song, song that I, song, um, please don't laugh, uh, Judas. <laughs> by Lady Gaga. And, uh, and I got it from Amazon because they were selling it for 69 cents. So. Did, you, did you use their locker service? Uh, I, as soon as I downloaded it, it went right up to our locker. So. <laughs> Your locker service, okay. Yeah. Set a check on that one. So, so I guess you'll I, do anything to save 30 cents, right? Uh, that's right. <laughs> 69 cents is a great price. <laughs> I guess I got to say mine. Um, uh, the, the middle brother um, uh, via Groove Shark. Was, was mine, so good stuff, good stuff. Although I can't get the, my playlist that I made to try to email out to all my friends and it won't actually email my friend, so small problem there, but anyway. Um, so cloud music, I mean, I, we, we heard the name Amazon already pop up a couple times here. I think that their cloud drive really 
you know, for lack of anything else happening from Apple or Google right now, I think that's sort of been the thing that's, that's really galvanized a lot of the cloud music discussion right now. And I think that a lot of the controversy coming out of the, the launch of Amazon's Cloud Drive had to do with some of the response to that on behalf of the record labels uh, and others in the music industry. So I'm going to ask the first question to Larry. Um, is that legal? May not be legal, but it's fun, right? <laughs> the, uh, you know, you got to talk about all these services uh, individually, and, and, and the, there's been no legal precedent about any of them. However, um, the analogies uh, to uh, network drives generally for storage of private property on a network drive, which no one seems to dispute as legal, uh, seems persuasive to me. If, if you're not doing anything else to, uh, to encourage infringement of copyright, and all you're doing is opening up a, a network drive for someone who they can then access with a password, I, and, and we're talking here about the sound recordings, then I don't know what uh, the sound recording copyright owner, uh, that they have a right to, to do anything about that, nor should they. The, the music publishing is a little more um, um, complicated as it always is, and there's questions about performance and whether it's a public performance or not. But again, it, it'll be a bit fact-based. So I know there is one lawsuit pending, but it's a lot more complicated than the facts than I think the Amazon services, so I don't even know if that'll serve as precedent. Um, one thing I do remember, though, is back in the 90s, one of the first deals in the digital space I remember making was a, uh, a service called Music Bank which was a uh, cloud uh, uh, locker service and it paid millions of dollars advances to the labels and never launched. But back then, uh, the economics of it was such that I don't know if people could afford to put up a service where they, uh, everyone uploaded individual tracks to the server. Rather the storage than, was too expensive. Yeah, because the storage was so much more expensive and they, it was more complicated having you know, everyone directed to their own little um, area, walled-off area of the server. Obviously, to Amazon, uh, who's in that business, the storage is a drop in the bucket. So, yeah, so I think those efficiencies are, are now not necessary. So, first of all, lesson, never ask a lawyer yes or no question. Um, but, <laughs> but basically, as you see... I think it, I said it was legal. <laughs> so basically, yes, is, is, is what you're saying. So, and Darren, I mean, um, you, you operate a very, very similar service to what, to what Amazon has, has done. Um, there's been no you know, official... I want to get the legal stuff out of the way because I think it's the elephant in the room. I don't want to spend the whole conversation discussing the ins and outs of music licensing rights because that'll be old real quick. But uh, just, you know, can you give us a, an idea of the kind of reaction and the kind of discussions you're having now in particular with uh, the music industry about your locker service and, and what, what are, what if anything, are their concerns and, and, and what are you hoping to, you know, how are you hoping to address them? Um. Yeah, I, you know, I, we've had uh, ongoing discussions with the labels for quite a while now. As a matter of fact, um, before the service was launched, we actually went out there and met with all the majors and just to give them a heads up. I, I think that uh, one of the things that Larry said here I think is really key, which is um, cloud is sort of a very broad term. You really have to look at the services on a service-by-service -service basis because there are different implementations of the cloud. And um, so, um, you know, I think from the label side, there are uh, concern about piracy, there's concern about cannibalization of the current pay services. And, you know, the thing, the thing that we're trying to, um, you know, convince the labels, and, and I think they are coming around, which is uh, we really believe that if we implement the locker service in the right way, it's really a great ramp into getting people to uh, pay for more stuff, whether it's on a la carte basis or like, you know, the Rhapsody subscription service. Um, so, um, you know, so what we're doing right now here is that we do believe, though, that the, our implementation of Locker Service does not require any licensing. It's not a scan and match service. People are actually moving songs up to our locker, and it's their storage. We don't touch it uh, once it's in their storage. And, uh, and, and what we're talking to the labels about right now is that how can we actually offer, I guess, more advanced, compelling user features on top of the basic service, and then that really is a strategy to then move folks into the pay tiers. Okay. Any, any questions on the legal front before we move away from that topic? Raise your hand. Stand up. Wait for the microphone. <laughs> Who are you? What do you do? And what do you want to know? I'm Ben Beckman. I'm here representing my own music, uh, music industry grad, looking for work, looking for contacts. Uh, I have a question about that. Isn't there um, another license that's supposed to be 
um, implemented where um, there, is there talk of another license where you could just hold on to one file and then that would be uh, the one file that's used and everyone would use that one file and they could create another license for that? Um, so I think you're talking about the scan and match feature, which is really a library of you know, millions of songs that we would license from the rights holders. And so in that particular case, so really only one very, very high fidelity quality file pristine. And then um, from that, you can stream and potentially make copies down to portable devices. Um, so you're right. I mean, in that particular scenario, it, um, you know, I, I believe it would require licensing and we're seeking licensing for that. And John, are you in any way with Rhapsody looking, I mean, you already have that, those types of licenses necessary to offer such a service. Can you, can you weigh in on where you guys might be going with that? Right. Yeah. We at, at Rhapsody, I mean, the very nature of it, and uh, since the beginning of the service, have started with uh, having the copies of the music in the cloud, a, a single copy, and then getting the licenses to distribute it to um, individuals uh, through a variety of devices. I think what's interesting on the the, the cloud services, whether it's Amazon or what Darren's uh, company's done, is it's raising an awareness of, of the cloud and the cloud's uh, power of driving accessibility to, to music like never before, um, from physical media to the digital media, to now having uh, the ability to listen to it across a number of devices. Uh, the, the locker services themselves provide a degree of security, and um, we know that that's something consumers value as well. They like to have as a copy of music that I that I own and that I've purchased, um, and that's always available to me in the cloud. Where Rhapsody really excels and has for a number of years is not just taking that that premise of uh, accessibility and security uh, from a backup perspective, but using it as a basis for I have new music discovery going forward. Okay, what do I listen to next? Okay, what should, you know, what's the type of music I can listen to next uh, based on some recommendation that could come from uh, editorial staff or programming around that content uh, that you've listened to in the past? Could come from social recommendations from your friends. Um, I think Darren alluded to it as well. What that provides then is a, an on-ramp to purchasing music via a la carte. So it could drive new purchases, new MP3 purchases and downloads in that way, or gaining further value out of subscription services like Rapid. Well, yeah, well, what about the whole idea of, of like, the music locker that, that's out there right now, the scan and match ones that are probably coming from, from Google and Apple? I mean, isn't the whole idea that, okay, there's, you've been in, in this business long enough to know mm -hmm. it's kind of a pain to convince people that have been buying music all their lives to suddenly pay us a monthly fee and then just stream it. And that's sort of a big leap that all the advertising and the, and the lack of any real free um, tier longer than 14-day trials hasn't really been able to bridge. So is, is the idea of the locker service, such as what, what, what Darren's often, and maybe what I think that you guys might be looking at is, okay, take the music you already own, put it into the cloud, mm -hmm stream it anywhere to any device, and then you start to realize, hey, why am I only doing this from the stuff that I'm buying? Why, not, why can't I just do this with everything? Oh, yeah, Rhapsody does that. I'm going to become a Rhapsody, or whoever it might be, your other competitors and what. I mean, is that, is that how you view the, the potential of the locker to the, the larger idea of music subscription? Yeah, and I think the locker may be, the word locker may be a little bit of the problem and sort of the misnomer here is the fact that it's, a, it's one big locker uh, that we maintain with the tracks that we have licenses to. Uh, and what, what, what you're alluding to is the fact that people and music fans have spent years curating their music, discovering new music, acquiring their catalogs, creating playlists and amassing, and they, they have that. And there's a sense of ownership that comes with that. And to make the leap over to a service like Rhapsody where the concept that you're gonna now not own that music a very obvious seed for that is to pre-populate the Rhapsody cloud, if you will, with the music that you've already curated. So essentially going out and we'll be layering services on top of uh, the Rhapsody service that goes out and looks at everything that a uh, customer or music fan has, <coughs> excuse me, has listened to and setting that up in the Rhapsody service. So when they then log into Rhapsody, uh, to listen to the music, that's there. Their favorite artists are there. Right. It's organized in a way that's familiar to them, 
that that really sets the stage for an easy transition. So Darren, is is the idea with of the uh, M Spot Music Locker to eventually offer a subscription service similar to Rhapsody? I mean, is that your is that your product roadmap? Um, you know, we're we're looking at everything. Um, I, one thing that I would like to add, though, is that I I think from our side, one one of the major use cases that we want to address is that. I mean, you know, let's be honest here. We have a lot of users or music music users that are not paying, and we're really trying to figure out a way to engage those folks so that in the hopes that we can get them to pay for something, again, whether it's a, uh, a la carte purchase or some sort of a subscription service. And and so the, the under that premise, the, the way that we design our services, that is absolutely important for us to offer a free tier so that we can have an ongoing you know, relationship right. with these users. And it's very, very difficult um, if, um, you know, we have to subsidize, I guess, that cost um, to the various rights owners um, uh, you know, for, for a service that we want to be able to offer a free tier. So we designed this thing that you know, basically is all, all around personal, uh, uh, under the, the um, uh, you know, under personal use, fair use. And uh, honestly, I think the feature of that is um, there, we can, it, can make it, it can be much better. For example, um, if you had, let's say, 10,000 songs, it does take quite a while to upload those, all those tracks into our locker. If we had a scan and match, we can literally do that within you know, less than an hour. So they won't pay for their music, but they'll pay to store it and access it. Um, well, well, well. We don't. I think people will pay for different things uh, depending on what they want to use, you know, the service for. I think there's going to be, you know, users that would eventually pay for a full-blown, unlimited subscription music service. And then I think that there are folks that, you know, can't afford the $10 per month. And, and so what we're designing is, I guess, some hybrid models where you don't have the full functionality of an unlimited service. Uh, it's somewhat capped. But again, you know, folks can still listen to their music and having, you know, the ability to uh, access it wherever they are and, and even potentially get, you know, to listen to a few tracks that they don't even possess. Again, these will, these will be features that we will want to see right. licensing for. And so, um, so our, our strategy to, you know, I guess to your question is that um, we do see ourselves, you know, eventually um, offering an unlimited subscription service and whether we're going to build that or partner that, that's TBD. Okay. So, Larry, you're, you're, you're back at eLabs. You're running the show again. Um, oh, God. Hypothetically. <laughs> what do you think of all this stuff? Yeah, nightmare. <laughs> but other than quitting, uh, what do you think of... Uh, what do you think of all this? You know, like you know, how do you how do you put you know, ex translate all of this to us through uh, the, a label's eyes? Well, you know, labels start from the premise that uh, if it weren't for the music, these other things couldn't exist, and that for these other things to pay for every other necessity to their business, except for the one thing that uh, is at the basics uh, of it, uh, is just inequitable, uh, and they. They, they they don't like it. They uh, they take extreme positions as a result, and, uh, and they try to get the laws interpreted and changed in such a way that more falls into the needs of license bucket. The problem with all that is that the more that falls into the needs of license bucket, the less it gets done, because the licenses are so difficult to uh, generate. Um, but you know, it, it it you have to understand the basic emotion really. Of, the, of these companies, although it's hard to put emotions on a company, but some of the people who have been there for a long time is the utter unfairness of the situation that uh, bandwidth gets paid for and hardware gets paid for and, and advertisers pay and everyone's pay, being paid except the creators and the owners of the, the underlying product. That's their point of view. Okay. I got a question over here. Yes, yeah, stand up. Who are you? Uh, what do you do and what do you want to know? I'm Tom Murphy with a new nonprofit here in San Francisco, The Root SF, to be a musician's resource to integrate technology and uh, the physical world. Mm. And Larry, you touched on exactly the, the question I was going to ask is, if you're a musician trying to make a living with being a, a musician, um, we talk about the cloud as some way of providing consumers access to music. And uh, I know Rhapsody is around $10 a month and M-Spot assuming people bought the music somewhere else. How does a musician survive on cloud services? You don't. Next question. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
Wow. There you go. All right, I'm out of here, folks. Thank you. No, please. I'll take a stab at it. It's the, uh, I think as you look at technology, and I've been in technology my entire career, and, and as it's advanced, and the, the pace of, of the capability and the, the power that technology is allowing people to exp explore more of anything, whether it's communication, whether it's you know, art right, and, and music, it's accelerating at a pace that's just, it's, it's, it's almost, it's mind-boggling. Uh, in doing that, it's how the different entities embrace uh, leveraging that fact. As, a, as an artist, as a musician, you know, the internet has given you more and more ways to connect with fans, but it's also, it's a double-edged sword. It's extremely noisy out there, and how do you cut through the noise? Um, where Rhapsody sits in terms of cutting the relationships and having the relationships with the labels in order to provide that content. We don't own it. We just basically are a platform. We sit in the middle. Right? And whether we're distributing that content to um, uh, a customer directly or through a, a wireless carrier, that is, that's something that we, um, we need to do very efficiently and on very narrow margins. When I look to the label side, I think to just be blunt, at $10 a month, Okay, at $10 a month, it's still at a price point we hear from our consumers that is too high. Okay, it's too much to what, really drive mass market adoption. What price point uh, other than free? I think for a mobile service, you need to be down near $5. So $5 for? $5 in that point and, an, and a very accessible way to drive um, free users and free music listening that as an on-ramp to exploring it. And the labels need to take a look at how to embrace that new, um, this new medium with all the technology, the social media out there, so that you can have, uh, you know, use that as a way to help curate and discover new artists, to well, cut through the noise and help artists percolate up. Is there a way of answering that question where maybe we could all think a little bit outside the box of our own, of our own companies here for a minute and just kind of look at our, 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 our overview of the overall marketplace? But, you know, what are some things that artists can do to more benefit, you know, from the, from the cloud in, I think, a profitable way? I mean, is it like there's, I've seen some interesting companies out there, uh, I'm getting the name, I think it's Vinyl or something like that, where they, they propose having the track be a URL, like a unique URLs for each track and it helps get out there and I'm not sure what the monetization back end of that is necessarily, uh, yeah, but yeah. I'm just like, you know, let's just think a little bit outside of just, you well, know, it, making it cheaper, but the, what other things can they do? The one rule that won't be repealed is the, uh, the law of unintended consequences. And I think that you have to think about a change from the sale of, from an artist, let's just take an artist selling their CDs out of their trunk directly to the, to the people who go to their gigs. They make 10 bucks a CD, less their 25 cents in duplication costs. Now think of that, instead no one wants that, and instead you say, go on to Rhapsody and play my music. Now what you're gonna get is your proportionate share of the $10. Um, it's a very, very, very different business model, and you can do very little to affect how much you're gonna get. You cannot sell things out of the trunk and make a living anymore. It's a fixed pie, you're gonna get a percentage of it. And no matter how much um, you, you yourself are an entrepreneur, you're not gonna change the size of the pie anymore. In the past, all those CDs coming out of your trunk increased the pie. Uh, I think it's very, very problematic for independent labels and individual artists trying to make a living on that kind of a service, especially with the labels who are living off of market share, have looked at market share as a Ways of changing market share is, is a matter of living, you know, and they're going to market to list plays now instead of sales. But you, you're not going to be able to do that and make a dent in the overall market well, share. Well, it becomes it becomes fun. I mean, the smaller artists can can uh, can uh, uh, influence that by having their music played more, and that's by getting it out more, whether it's with live music or whether that music can be more distributed uh, evenly throughout the web into more places where more ears can hear it. Well, it's fine. It's, it's fine so. if it's if it's if it's marketing and pushing some other form of making money. Okay. But again, if you're looking at making money from from that service itself, it's going to be very difficult. So I was right to start with that, I think. You, sir. Yes. Wait, wait for the microphone, please, and tell us who you are, what you do, and what you want to know. 
Hi, my name's John Sadley. I work for Roadrunner Records, um, label in, out of New York. Um, isn't the elephant in the room really, when we're talking about this being a scale business and the pie and everything else, uh, what Apple intends to do? And if we're talking about consumer behaviour, which is what I'm hearing a lot of and how people um, consume music, those tens of millions of iTunes customers and how Apple chooses to flip them into potential uh, subscribers of a um, subscription ser service is going to be the, the you know sort of the, the day of reckoning for the labels, either for good or bad. I don't know. I mean, it kind of depends on what Apple's going to do, which I've yet to see firm. Anyone knows? Please, I'm happy to. <laughs> but you know, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Apple launches a locker service, a scan and match locker service. Does that suddenly blow up the world? I don't think so. Uh, in and of itself, I don't think so. Unless Apple goes to a subscription service, which they have been fighting so that's the for big a one. decade. All right. Yeah, I, I mean, that would be a change. Or something like your iPod or iPhone comes with a year's, of mu a year's worth of music. That would be a game changer. But unless you see that, I, you know, I, you can ask what Facebook is going to do, what Spotify is going to do. Uh, I mean, it's not just Apple, and people don't stay in Apple's position forever. I mean, they're, they're, they're entrenched now, so like anyone else is entrenched, they're going to be uh, subject to the up-and-comers. John, what do you think? I mean, uh, that, this probably affects you more than almost anybody. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously one of the uh, things that uh, whenever we're talking uh, internally is in terms of, okay, what if Apple does this or what if Google does that? You talked about Spotify and uh, Facebook, companies with huge, huge audiences. Um, again, those services are going to come out. There's going to be an increased awareness about uh, cloud computing. I mean, they, Apple's going to be able to come out when they launch a service uh, when and if Google launched a service and make a heck of a lot more marketing and PR noise than my company could ever hope to do. Okay? How, do you, how do you position your company to, to survive that is, is one thing. Um, I, I think there's still the, the challenge, and they've, they've, they're going to transition slowly and try and make sure that they preserve the, the revenue stream they have, and they're going to be very cautious about how they do it. But... I come from the belief that there's a, you start talking about having music come with something. Okay? Apple coming out and marketing direct to consumers uh, is one way to get it, you know, and you know, it's, they've had tremendous success with, with the iPod over the last seven years, six or seven years when it really started to ramp uh, in iTunes sales. Um, the market for subscription music is, it's not, a ma it's not even close to be mass market. It's a niche right now. What's going to take that and what's going to launch that into, into a kind of a new, you know, take it an order of magnitude in terms of the number of subscribers is getting one of the large distribution players involved. Verizon embracing it in a real way, not just selling apps on their app store, but offering, you know, a data plan where somebody can consume data on their phones and their handset, and then that comes with music. Uh, getting Comcast or AT&T to embrace this so that they, they build that as part of their value proposition that they're bringing to, to, to customers. Well, let me even take that a step further for you. I mean, isn't, isn't part of it, though, also, I mean, the value of the cloud in whatever form you wish to define it really is in the number of devices and, and places that you can access it from. And right now, all we're talking about is our computer and our mobile phones. And for a few folks that have it, you know, maybe a Sonos or some other kind of web-connected thing in their living room. I mean, this has got to be something that's on your mind. You know, I knew you guys can answer this. You know, what, what, what are the barriers? I mean, we have, to, we have to point the labels all the time, and they certainly deserve their, you know, fair share of blame in terms of the licensing aspect, but in terms of just where it's available from, the development environment to these other devices, the living room, the car, things like that, <coughs> what are the barriers there that need to be removed in order to make that happen? Because that, that, I think, is a, is a big part that's not being talked about very much. Oh, oh, actually, so, so um, I, I can answer so that, but one more, one more thing about the <laughs> Apple, right? I want to, yeah, I want to chime in on that, which is, I, I think um, it's, it's very, it's unclear exactly um, what, if, if um, how, how is Apple or is Apple licensing their music locker service? What are the economic terms? How are the money flowing? Are they planning to charge for that service to the end users? I mean, there's a lot of questions um, around their whole entire model. So, so it's way too early to, you know, sort of say Apple is going to basically dominate once they come out because honestly, we just don't know the economics and, and all the, uh, um, you know, all the specifics. 
And uh, the, other, the other issue that Apple has, which is good or bad, or good and bad, is that uh, you know, the, 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 the Apple service most likely would be very much obviously focusing on Apple products. But as we all know, there's been huge growth on the Android side, and, and there are a lot of other platforms that needs to be supported for music. Uh, it's unclear what Apple wants to do with those type of products. So I, I don't think, and I guess I'm agreeing with Larry here, that I don't think that Apple is going to suck the oxygen entirely out of the space um, once they get into it. Uh, I, I actually think that it's a good thing. Uh, for example, when Amazon made their music cloud announcement, you know, our traffic actually picked up over 30%. And it's been sustaining since. So okay. um, it's kind of one of these uh, rising tide effect, I guess. But that's from the service side. Going back to what I'm saying on the device side, I mean, look at where Apple has the, the power in the device ecosystem. They pretty much own the tablet side, which is another cloud point of access, right? They haven't quite locked up the TV side with Apple TV, but at least they've got a, a foot in that. I, I, they totally screwed up that metaphor, but whatever. They're in that space. You know, like the, the car, I don't know what's going on with that. So th that's the part I want to get at here is just, is just that, that ecosystem of cloud access. And because Apple can certainly play a huge role there outside of whatever they do. I, I think that uh, it's a good point that Darren made on the, you know, with Apple's ecosystem and it'll be limited to just, you know, it's going to be iPhone, iPad. Again, tremendously powerful markets. What we're finding is consumers right now, and I feel like consumers in any type of business, they're looking for more control, right? They're, they're, they're accustomed to having things when they want it, you know, where they want it, you know, how many times they want it. And so it's, it's about having greater control. And getting them, getting consumers in a mass market understanding that it's not just about having music uh, on your stereo or on your PC, but now it's on your mobile device. And the things you do and you configure and you curate in the cloud are available when you sit at home in your living room. So thinking of these battlegrounds of the, the, mobile, the, the mobile devices, very well engaged right now on iPhone, Android, Blackberry, Windows Phone 7. Okay, people are flocking to it. There's going to be a battleground in the living room. Uh, where you're looking at how you extend music, you know, with greater control onto the TV sets and how you can control and deliver your service through those. And then eventually to the automobile and figuring out how you get into the car. And companies are going to have to look at that. And there's been some companies that, you know, Sirius XM made a huge investment subsidizing uh, getting into every one of these cars and built a very nice business with 20 million or so customers on it. So how's that going to play out in the, in the on-demand music world? I think it's going to be very interesting to see. Okay, we've got a bunch of hands coming yeah. up now. So I'm going to start here, then you, then you. Remind me of this. So you go first. Mike, no, uh, or we're Hello. there. Yes. <laughs> There's a long answer to the last question. This question doesn't involve Apple. Um, my name's Chris Rigatuso from Skyfile Consulting Group. We do social media analytics and projects. So recently a customer challenged me to... Uh, design a music upload contest. Let's say 10,000 artists, independent, upload an MP3 song into a competition, so they have upload access, but they can't delete the other files of the other artists. Right. Then there's a, a curator group who decides, ranks the top three or the top five okay. amongst themselves, presses a button, and those winners get you know, visibility in the cloud Ooh. broadly. Okay. Great niche service. Who does that? So user-generated content, contest, publication, visibility. You're asking what? I'm sorry, I just don't... I don't who does that well, Who today? does that? Who holds... Who does music Who's, Who does contest? the technology infrastructure for that today? And maybe think, who I should? I think GroupShark... Uh, not GroupShark, what am I talking about? Um, SoundCloud could probably do that. Anyone here from SoundCloud? No? I met some of you guys last night. You promised you'd be here, you'll bet. So I don't know. SoundCloud would be the first that comes to my mind. I don't know if anyone else has any thoughts on that. Anyone in the audience have an answer? Uh, our stage. I like when my band sent me to SoundCloud instead of MySpace. Okay, so not MySpace. <laughs> Maybe even Indaba. Okay, so you got a couple answers there. Uh, another one. Bandcamp. Bandcamp. All right, that's like six. Your question here, sir. Uh, my name is Sharath Cherian. I'm with Cherry Media Group. Uh, our biggest property is hiphopdx.com, uh, the largest hip-hop news site on the internet. Um, so basically, John, you're talking about the game changer being getting onto uh, mobile devices. And 
Um, I know that I think Cricket is offering a service very Amazing. similar to that right now. Are yep. you guys watching them um, in terms of their numbers? What are their numbers like uh, if you are watching them? And then, um, I sh or sorry, are you now competing with the other, with a service like Cricket to get on the other uh, labels? And that also being said, you also mentioned about automobiles uh, being the game changer. If I'm not mistaken, Larry, you might have the number that, I mean, isn't automobiles a place where people really listen to their music the like most? 80%. Why aren't you directing your angle there first instead of going to mobile devices? So first question on, on Cricket, <laughs> yes, obviously they yeah, launched that. I think at CES they had the whole side of the, you know, the Luxor Hotel was a big phone with the Cricket music phone with the Move Music Service. Uh, I don't have direct knowledge from them on how their service is doing. The indications, though, that we're, you know, what we're hearing throughout the industry is that it's been very successful. I think one thing that's exciting for the industry in general is this is something that may be increasing the size of the pie from a revenue perspective. Because if you look at services like Cricket or services these, these prepaid wireless services, their demo, the customer demographic it skews very young, very low income, and very high in terms of music consumption, but very low in terms of paying for it. Okay, they are not, they are not getting their music from the iTunes store. In fact, a large number of uh, your prepaid subscribers uh, on those services don't even have a credit card. So these are, this is new business coming into the industry, okay? via a subscription plan on a phone. So the answer is yes, we're very keenly watching that and very excited about you know, that being something that starts to move the other carriers in that direction. Uh, a question on the car, uh, it's really timing, right? The devices around the, uh, the, the mobile devices are here now, the open marketplace with the Android market, the iTunes store, um, make it a very easy way to to distribute apps. I think there's some 20, 23, 25,000 music apps out that have been created of you know, various types. Um, I think the car will get there. There's obviously long lead times, uh, and there's three ways you can get in there. My son, quite frankly, is you know, 21 years old. He plugs his iPhone into the aux jack in his car, and that's how he plays his music. It's a very you know, cheap form of integration. It's a single cable. Right. The second level of integration could be where you plug your mobile device in, that's the transport for the content, and you integrate it with the controls. Our, our friends at MOG have done this with the Mini Coopers and things like that, where it's integrated into the, the handset. And really then the, the full integration is actually getting it into the head unit of the car, where you're dealing with multiple manufacturers potentially. So it's a, it's a challenging marketplace, but we're looking at it very closely in terms of What's the best and most efficient way to get in there when the, you know, so you're in place when the time's right? Over here. Microphone. Who's um, oh, coming? Give her a second. Hi, Debbie Newman from New York, uh, consultant, attorney, manager, pundit, whatever. Um, uh, John, I want to follow up on what you were talking about with. Uh, getting to the point where a major distribution uh, network like a Verizon or a, or a Cablevision or a Comcast or somebody gets uh, into the game in the way that it becomes almost like a bundled service. Do you see it being uh, the direction where I might buy the Verizon music service, which is white labeled by somebody and the brand is actually Verizon and it comes as a data pl you know, plan or this, that where it's their brand right. on it? Or with the plethora of services that are coming up now from the Mogs and the RDOs and the Rhapsodies and the Spotify's and whoever else has, do you think it's going to be um, still the brand of the service is what people will buy into? They'll buy into, they want Spotify or they want Rhapsody or they want Mog and Verizon is right. offering, like they currently sort of do as an app, you know, all the handset, all the different services, right. and they're just the billing mechanism. Or will I want to buy a Cablevision or a Time Warner cable music service? I think it's going to run the, it's going to be the full spectrum of that. I think uh, for Verizon, not speaking for them, I don't think there's anybody from Verizon here, but you know, they're taking an open marketplace approach uh, with their Vcast app store and providing billing and integration services to already to a number of uh, competitors in the subscription space. Uh, we're hopeful that their next step is to actually create a data plan that would be the music data plan. Uh, but you would be able, consumers, it'd almost be like the long-distance open access model. Pick your long-distance provider, you know, as pick your music provider. 
Right. Well, this issue of ISP licensing and mobile ah. issues, which has been on the table now for the last couple of years since Paul McGinnis's. Larry. <laughs> Blanket licensing, your favorite. Attorneys, you can Come on. That's right. <laughs> Debbie and I bond. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, I don't want to get into legalities. Uh, they, they, the, the, obviously, there's a lot of problems with anyone getting together and collectively licensing. The, the, uh, uh, the ISP licensing by the labels has been a hope for uh, prospect for 15 years. The problem is that the ISPs haven't wanted to do it, or if they talked about pricing, they talked about pennies per customer and not dollars. Uh, the labels love the idea of getting on a data plan or piggybacking on other services because of breakage. You get on, uh, you get paid by people who aren't using it as well as by people who are. If there's no breakage, then their cannibalization nightmares take over, and they're afraid all you're going to do is skim off people who are currently paying more for music and drive them down a lower price point on these new services. Um, uh, I think that uh, all of this is, uh, uh, it's, it's still not the immediate future. It, it's, it's uh, maybe someday there'll be a, a compulsory license for sound recordings as well, and then you won't have any of the licensing problems, and then everyone can do it, but I, I'd say that that could well be at rates that a lot of people don't like, considering what happened with compulsory licensing of internet radio. All right, we are now moving into the speed round. Short questions, short answers, okay? Man with the glasses right here. And then you say there's someone over there as well. Okay. No mics in the speed round. You know, I'm gonna let her pick it and she'll just be whoever she is and I'll just find you, okay? Hello, my name is Charles Che. I'm with uh, Yummy Melon Software, a developer of mobile and cloud application uh, services for okay. our clients. Uh, I have a question, a uh, short one for the entire panel, uh, charge word. I don't understand what it actually is going to mean. Cloud services and sharing. You want to know what cloud services and sharing is going to mean? Like, so sharing within cloud, okay. So sharing, so, so like playlist sharing, music recommendation from friends, um, probably more scan and match kind of yeah. perhaps you like thing, but go for it. No, I, I think that uh, cloud is a huge enabler for those type of features. Um, you know, it, it, what, what we want to do here is that um, everybody, you know, we hold everybody's library, we actually know what songs they're playing and um, they can create their playlist and it absolutely makes sense for you to pass that play, playlist around to your friends so everybody else can listen to it. Obviously there's some licensing issues associated right. with that, right? So, so um, but um, that aside, I think that dramatically reduces the friction of you know this whole concept of virtual mixtape. It really makes that very very easy, and and I, I think that there, there's very very strong ties between sharing social networking and the cloud. People have talked about share list APIs um, for a long time, and that if you have a, a playlist, um, uh, you, then you can send it sort of as a uh, little code to someone else, and if they have any kind of a service where they write to that music, whether they have it on uh, ripped CDs or, or Rhapsody or, or anything else, it'll play. The, the, the services themselves uh, don't particularly like that necessarily because they don't, it creates, it reduces friction of changing services if you can take your playlist with you. <laughs> I think same thing. It's, again, I think having the sharing very powerful helps people discover not just from you know pre-programmed lists, but learning about new music from who they uh, respect. You know, you you like that friend. You might you know what they are listening to. The game comes back to me. It comes right back to licensing. You share out that playlist or that album when your friend now wants to listen to it. If they're not part of that service, there has to be a way for them to consume that track, and somebody has to pay for it. I'm, I'm going to take a question over here, but I just want to add to that on a different industry type track. There was a time, I don't know if you guys remember, when if you had a mobile phone and you wanted to send a text message to someone, you could only send it to another person within that same mobile operator, Sprint to Sprint, Verizon to Verizon, whatever. And then when they actually made it so that you could send a text message from Sprint to Verizon, text messaging traffic exploded. Something to think about. Over here. Aaron Verstrait, former consultant looking to work at any number of the companies that are listed up here. Okay. Um, They're not hiring. <laughs> um, actually, touching on something, Larry, you just said, and John, you started earlier, it's great that the locker services or, or the subscription services are allowing you to draw from your existing collection. What about the deterrent to people who are avid collectors and who like to curate that once they make the move to a subscription service? then the next switch, right? So let's say, you know, going to, to Rhapsody or RDO today, they do the, you know, check your collection. 
that's great. Three years from now, I'm tired of paying for this or somebody else comes out with something awesome. I've spent three years curating my collection. Now what? I don't own it. There's nothing tangible for me to say, okay, can the next person replicate this for me? Is, do you see either an interoperability coming or, or what other ways can you assuage that fear or that barrier for people to sign up? My focus is going to be on making sure they never uh, find that greater thing <laughs> that they want to move to, right? And certainly not enable it to make it easier for them uh, to, to transfer services. But you're right, there is that, that's that fear. I own this music, I have it. Uh, my niece yesterday, I had to walk her through it. She called my, my sister-in-law of all people, calls, says, you need to cancel Brooks Rhapsody account. I said, no, I'm not going to. So I spent yesterday at their house walking her through it, and she, then she kind of got it, right? So she understands it, but she had that fear. Well, I want to own my music. I can't keep the music. So it's, I think it's an education process. Will something new come up? Don't know. But there's, there's really, there's like all kinds of metadata matching apps that can come out that anyone can use so that if someone does want to, God forbid, leave Rhapsody and move over to someone else, that if, if all those servers would have to do is just create this line of code, it can't be that hard, that would just read what's already on your, the, the, the cache tracks already in your hard drive and just match it to their catalog, if, should they choose to do so. But frankly, we're at the stage where I don't think there's enough subscribers throughout all the competitors that would be worth focus on stealing each other's. They need to bring more people into the fold, I think. Is, 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 yeah, down the line, sure. when that becomes a nice problem to have, I'm sure it'll be a solution uh, for it. Okay, over here and then over here. Hi, uh, Keith Spears, musician and composer at Audio Wanderer. And I'm wondering if you think that the cloud might be a way for artists to better connect with specific venues. There are places in my area that I really enjoy having my music played. I'm sure that's true. There are a lot of places I would enjoy that. But I don't have a direct way to connect to those places. Do you see the cloud as a way that venues could... Are you talking about live music? Or are you talking about like jukeboxes? No, no, like, like jukebox, but for a niche type of music? Sure. Yeah, you know, what we're actually, what we're working on right now is um, adding a social graph on top of our uh, locker service so that, um, you know, people, of, people that are friends, for example, on Facebook can actually uh, see what each other are playing and listening and so forth. There's no reason why um, that filter can be either a geo filter or a niche filter as well, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And there's companies like, uh, I think like Rockbot is, uh, is the one that comes to mind. It's an app that venues can um, uh, put into their, the venues have to choose to do so, but if they put that app into their system, basically it allows anyone with the app on their phone to sort of crowdsource from a, from a playlist that's already in the system. So that would be, that would be a place to, to look at as well. Of course, I have to be the wet blanket. Different set of legal rights. Very complicated. I'll screw the lawyers. Just get this done. <laughs> I'll send you my bill. I'll be happy to sort it out for you, though. <laughs> you're, you're, you're right in my line of sight, so it's hard to miss you, man. So you my name's Josh Wine. I'm a reporter with Communications Daily, and I want to get back to what John was talking about, the carriers getting involved, and just what the panelists make of, um, or sort of what are the implications of wireless industry consolidation on the prospects for successful cloud services for music and other media down the road? I, you know, yeah, um, so we've been working with the carriers for six and a half years now. I mean, one thing that I didn't have a chance to add um, previously is that there's tremendous amount of power when the carriers get behind uh, a service, uh, especially around music. Um, we power, for example, AT&T Radio and Sprint Radio. And even though there are very competitive services out there, such as, you know, and they're free, Pandora's and, and so forth, um, those services, by the way, they're paid for too, are doing very, very well. So. So we're very uh, uh, bullish on, you know, keep working with the carriers. I, I think the consolidation is kind of interesting. I, you're probably talking about T-Mobile and, and AT&T. Um, you know, I, I, both of them have their own strategies, and, and uh, one of the things that, you know, they're not talking to each other yet, but, but you know, we're already thinking about whether, uh, uh, you know, do we need to work with more AT&T and, and, and we're, we're both, or um, hard to say, I guess. And I think, though, that, um, the, the thing that we're very um, optimistic about the, is that um, as the carriers, I guess, sort of they, they aggregate and they get larger, it just, you know, instead of working with 10 different carriers, so you, you work with three or four, and that does become easy and you get scale very quickly that way. But is, is, is that, I mean, with the whole app store explosion, is, is really getting embedded in the carrier still that big of a deal? And I'm going to ask that in, in a specific question for actually both mm -hmm. of you. You guys yeah. have apps available on those stores and you have your services embedded into those, in some of those carriers. Where are you seeing the majority of the traffic? That, the, the, those that are downloading and choosing the app themselves versus those that are going through the, uh, through the carrier embedded deal? 
Yeah, you know, for, for us, the majority of our traffic comes through the carriers, and that's oh. just because that's how our business is set up. That was, that's right? your that's our business. roots. Yeah. Um, but I will say, though, I mean, you guys, if you guys create apps right now in the open store, you all know this. It's, it's very, very crowded. It's extremely crowded. It's hard to sort of give a, get, get above the noise. Mm. And, uh, you know, you can beg for placements. I mean, it's, it's very, very, very difficult. Okay. But if you that's work with the carrier, right, and, and they, they have their own processes, but uh, if you can partner with a carrier, boy, I tell you, that just, for us anyways, it completely takes out uh, any kind of marketing or distribution uh, worries. They just take care of everything. And that's, that's the same for you, John? Uh, yeah, I mean, traditionally, Rhapsody had a very tight relationship with uh, Verizon, and with the, the advent of the open marketplaces in the stores, you know, that changed, so that we were no longer exclusive to Verizon, and Verizon could yeah. you know, open up the market. At that point, it becomes an open marketplace, and you have to deliver a great service. One thing that's here is not just downloading the, the apps through the marketplaces, where we get the vast majority of our, our downloads and, and trial signups in the mobile space, but having the integration of the billing. So whereas it's not the placement that's guaranteed, but being able to have the convenience op option for the consumer and the music listener to add it to their carrier bill. What's the greater weight, the, uh, the marketing exposure or the billing integration? You can't say uh, the marketing exposure gets them in the front door. The uh, billing integration gets them, uh, you know, bringing money into the industry in a much more efficient fashion. So both. You need them both. Yeah. All right. What do we got? How you doing? I'm uh, Reed Kavner. I'm with uh, Starmaker Interactive. We make uh, karaoke iPhone apps. Um, You're not going to sing, are you? Pardon me? No. No. <laughs> you don't want that. Uh, John, you, you briefly mentioned... Um, the consumer's desire for control, and, and Anthony, you touched on, on something else, uh, screw the lawyers. Um, I was joking. <laughs> um, often the consumer's desire for control is in direct opposition with the sticky business that is music licensing. How do you go about best educating the consumer, John and, and, and Darren and, and Larry, um, to prevent them from getting frustrated with the things that your service can't offer due to, to licensing restrictions? That's a great question. I was going to kind of add on a layer on top of it. What you're saying is that make, you guys are all talking about make, making a service that the consumer wants. And, you know, labels, I think they wanted it, but they also want the service that they want. And there's not always the same thing. So, you know, there's treating it like a business and then there's treating it like a product, I guess. And for some reason, they're, they're two different things. I, I don't have an answer. I mean, I, I <laughs> totally understand what you're saying. I, for us, is that we're trying to strike the right balance, right? So um, when we go and speak to the rights owners, we try to represent the users, but recognizing that everything that the users want, you know, I don't think it's fair also to give. I mean, everybody wants music for free, but obviously that can't happen. So. Free. Yeah, and so mm -hmm. so I, it's 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 a balance. I don't have the I don't have a good answer for that. You know. I think it's just a, for us. It's it's been a dialogue with the with the with the labels and the, and the rights holders to just say, you know, listening to our customers, we have a large base that we can draw from, talk to them about what their what their wants are in the product and how it evolves and new features, and then taking that and representing that to the labels and the industry, you know, and, and getting their input. And it is it's a back and forth and dialogue. But you're right, there is a frustration that the cons the, the customers feel. Well, we'll do they, our best to bridge that. Yeah, one of the problems uh, all these services have is the labels each have their own sort of take on it. <laughs> and it could be any individual label take would work, but once you accommodate all their takes, you have a lowest common denominator that doesn't work. Um, it, that's, a, that's a big problem, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not really a legal one. It's really a, a relationship one in that the labels don't necessarily have the same interests as the service does. Well, that's what's interesting. The, the, the service's interest can be arguably said to make a consumer-pleasing product. What are the label's interests if it's not to create a product that consumers want? Silence. Right, but the labels, the labels have lots of different products, and, and the service has one. And it could be the label sees the service fitting into a niche that the service thinks is too narrow for it. Well, what do they care if it's narrow? If they have, a, if you have twelve narrow services, that's one real broad one at the end of the day. I mean, that's right, what I, the, I never really understood. The services that. don't want to be narrow. Oh, the services don't want yeah, to be narrow. narrow. All right. So, uh, question. Yes. Hi, uh, Jan Nordman with Fraunhofer. Uh, we make audio codecs, um, MP3, AAC, all the stuff you use. Uh, I got a question with terms of uh, difference between download and subscription cloud services. Uh, in the download case, we've seen audio quality going up over the past two years. 
320 kilobit MP3s and uh, 256 AACs are a common thing. In cloud streaming services, it's very often still limited in terms of uh, bit rates and bandwidth that you that the services use. Is that uh, um, due to bandwidth costs for service operators, or is it something that uh, the labels don't want higher audio quality for streaming services? And um, the, uh, the the second part of the question. Uh, after AT&T announced the uh, limited data plans for their mobile phones, have you seen any impact on that on subscription-based services from it, a user perspective? It's funny. I, I just did a whole story on that exact issue. Does the cloud mean that, that audio uh, file quality goes up? And it's basically what happens if you go to a cloud, what happens is what, what, what limited higher quality audio files uh, in the prior model was uh, constriction of storage capacity on devices. What's going to limit it in the cloud future is going to be uh, constriction of uh, bandwidth streaming uh, uh, over, the, over the cloud, right? But that's an easier problem, I think. I think the, the bandwidth is going to get, get wider and wider and wider, and as the bandwidth gets wider, the, the better quality files that can be streamed. But the question I have is whether the labels are going to want more money for the higher quality. Well, uh, it, you know, it, what's the value of the higher quality? It, 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 if you look at the history of music, uh, it just hasn't been a consumer demand for higher quality in sound. I hate to say it, but the LP was replaced by the cassette. The cassette <laughs> was half the quality LP. There was a mini surge in the CD with a slightly higher quality, at least in the cassette, maybe not in the LP. But the CD didn't succeed because of the quality of the sound. It, it succeeded for, for convenience. And, 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 so, John, uh, what has become worthwhile for you to bother with all this? Uh, again, files. we've always looked at it. There's, there's kind of this minimum quality you need to be over, right? And I think beyond that, you know, having something that's you know lossless formats or things is more for a, a very small segment of the customer base. But it has to be of good quality. Within the balance of streaming quality, we're using the codecs that allow us to deliver the highest quality with the best and most efficient use of the bandwidth. Okay, and balancing those out, AAC plus, if, if you will, at certain bandwidth or bitrate ranges, uh, and then we'll step it up for tracks that are downloaded for offline playback that can be used. They can be downloaded whether it's over the cellular networks or over Wi-Fi. So it's 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 a trade-off uh, that you know respects the the bandwidth that the providers are putting out there. Uh, certainly, as we're talking to the carriers, they're very interested in that. Well, I think it's really interesting is that every other format replacement that we've seen uh, throughout the industry, usually the new format replaces the old one. I think when they move to the cloud, that's the first one that doesn't happen because the cloud requires a multitude of formats to be able to satisfy each different type of device and network that is accessing it. So, you know, yes, yeah, sure, there's, there's eventually going to be a, a way to stream, you know, maybe, you know, three whatever kbps to the to the to the you know, via a home broadband network to the to the home stereo but you're still going to need that lower compressed um, file that, to go to the mobile phone because of the wireless network so you know maybe maybe in 10 years or whatever when 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 you know wireless broadband is equal to what we're getting in in landline home now maybe that changes but for the foreseeable future i don't see a, 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 an initial format change I, I see a need for multiple formats each based on the device and the network and everything else. We got time for one more question, and I'm seeing waving way in the back. Um, David D. from KPFA. My question is this. Um, I think the other white elephant in the room um, is the general dissatisfaction that many people have had just with music in general. Um, the quality of the music itself or the distribution of it? You know, I think quality, it, it depends on who you talk to. Older sure. people may have one take on it. There may be a group of people who are dissatisfied with what they constantly are presented with, et cetera, et cetera. But my point is, um, have you guys as companies thought about maybe filling the void of becoming A&Rs and investing in artists themselves and giving the <laughs> artists themselves, I mean, you, you know, so, yeah. more so, than just a hey, label, but only, taking it only to another distribute level. good music. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to be dismissive with the question. But what I'm saying is, is that there are obviously a lot of out there and they can't always cut through the noise. You all are on the cutting edge. Do you make that investment in those That's artists and introduce them to your audiences so that they become a legacy 10, 15 years down so the road. So more curation on their end to kind of have their music experts kind of rise to the top some of the better stuff that they're hearing so their consumers can so be a, sor a trusted right. source of, uh, of new music. You guys are doing that, I right? think I think two things. There's uh, Rhapsody traditionally has had a very strong editorial and programming staff that tried to percolate up 
you know, music or quality music across all genres, you know, and, and listening tastes. I think that the exciting part now that and this speaks to the noise that's out there, the artists can communicate much more with their fans, but there's a lot of artists doing it. Tapping the social networks that are out there that are going to percolate things up and create a certain buzz around a specific artist or a, you know, a new act that may be coming out. Uh, I think the industry as a whole, the, the service providers and the labels need to look more towards you know, the, the information that's coming out of these social networks and, and out of the, the cloud, use of the cloud itself to, to curate that and kind of provide that filter uh, for fans to, to maybe get access to the better music, whatever that taste may be. I don't know if that answers the question, but... Well, I tell you what, folks, thank you very much uh, for your time and your attention. This is obviously a massive topic. I hope we touched upon what we could. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for your answers.